Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to the strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, Senior Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe, and Biopharm International. Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the editors who will share more about what you can expect in this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Pharmaceutical Technology Drug Solutions Podcast. I'm Felisa Mirasol, the Science Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology and I'll be hosting this episode of Drug Solutions. Today's topic is oral solid dosage forms. This episode of Drug Solutions is sponsored by CoreRx. CoreRx is a CDMO that provides innovative drug formulation, development, GMP manufacturing, and packaging solutions to global pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical partners, as well as value-added solutions from clinic to commercial scale and across a range of dosage forms. In this episode of Drug Solutions, I'll be speaking with Deepak Vasu, Vice President of R&D and Regulatory Submission at LGM Pharma, and Marco Gill, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Hovion. Deepak joined LGM in 2020 to lead the company's integrated R&D and regulatory submissions team for CDMO clients. He has launched commercial products with several U.S. and EU patents and handled submissions for NDAs, ANDAs, BLAs, and medical devices. Prior to joining NextGen in 2015 to lead the R&D and regulatory groups, Deepak was Managing Director at Activis, Chief Scientific Officer and Vice President of Pharmaceutical Development at PharmaNova, Chief Scientific Officer and Senior Vice President of Pharma Development at Holopac International, and Associate Director of Global Pharmaceutical Development and Technology at UCB Pharma. He earned his Master's in Pharmaceutics from Sagar University and his PhD in Postdoctoral Training from the University of Cincinnati in Pharmaceutical Sciences. He earned MBAs from Cornell University in General Business Administration and Finance and Queens University. Marco graduated from the Chemical Engineering Department at the Technical University of Lisbon where he also obtained a PhD in chemistry in 2006. In 2007, he joined the Hovion R&D department as a scientist in the particle design discipline. The focus of his work was the application of particle engineering technologies to improve bioavailability of poorly water-soluble drugs. In May, 2011, he was appointed the director of R&D process chemistry and was responsible for a group of dedicated scientists focused on the development and scale-up of chemical processes for the production of active ingredients. He has held several management responsibilities, including Site General Manager of Hovion Operations in the United States and commercial-related functions. He is the author of more than 15 scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals and book chapters, co-author in two patents, and an invited speaker in more than 10 international conferences. Okay, let's get things started. I've got Deepak Dasu here with me from LGM Pharma. Hello, Deepak, and welcome to our podcast. Hello there. Thank you for inviting me. 
thank you for joining us. So now let's get into today's topic, oral solid dosage forms or OSD. Now I am by no means an expert on OSD. So one of the first thing, things I'm interested in hearing about are what have been some of the maybe latest developments in oral solid dosage technology or methodologies. I'm thinking maybe you could give us a bit of a crash course on what's new, what's exciting in OSD these days. Well, sure, 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 I will try. And as you know, that um, the, one of the most recognized and favorable uh, site is the oral uh, site by which we administered the product. And um, I know a little while uh, because the biologics came, suddenly everybody started uh, thinking about the injectable product, but oral is oral cavity and oral ingestion comes naturally to us. Uh, we we eat food, we do a lot of things orally, and 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 so it's a normal way to uh, to uh, to take the food to take the medicine. So the changes in the oral methodology and technologies are happening behind the scene continuously. As the FDA, I call them my dearest friend, uh, as they are changing the, the standards and, and uh, requirements, uh, accordingly, we are changing our, our methodologies. So more changes are happening on the engineering side. Some of the changes, uh, as you know, we have to do because the, the drug substances or new chemical entities which are coming in the system and they are poorly water-soluble. Uh, poorly water-soluble, highly permeable. Um, I don't know whether you, uh, as a, a, a normal person, uh, or as, as uh, I would call the patient who takes medicine, you probably have seen that new products are of a smaller dose than the older products are. No more 750 milligram, 600 milligram, 1000 milligram. Now we are going for five milligram, 10 milligram, and even more so hydrocodone and more opioids and what we call highly potent compounds. They're, they're getting into milligrams and some milligram dose, uh, fentanyl, for example. Uh, so all these uh, things are happening accordingly. Changes are happening in the manufacturing technologies. Now we are uh, uh, focusing on blending a very small amount in a large, uh, uh, excipient bowl. So let's say the tablet weight is 100 milligram. If 50% is active, that will require a different blending process than if the active is one milligram, which is 1% of 100 milligram. And, and if it is 20 milligram, then 20%. So accordingly, blending changes accordingly. Uh, the, the, the Now FDA says, okay, let's control the processing. So process control. So Overall, if you look at the oral technology methodologies, core are same or similar, but because highly potent compounds are coming up, water insoluble compounds are coming up, process control on the engineering side, a lot of developments are happening. Another way, uh, oral solid dosage form, because uh, like I earlier, I mentioned that uh, because we moved to injectable product uh, and, and everybody thought it is very simple, uh, it's normal to take injectable product, which is not true. Uh, the stability is in question, transition is in question, how the product is stored is in question, shelf life is in question, 
there are a number of other things which we do not uh, consider when we take orally tablets or capsules because microbial burdens and other things. So and a number of changes are happening according to the bioavailability enhancement and everything else. Granulation techniques are changing because now we are making smaller batches. Uh, remember that uh, maybe 10, 20 years ago, maybe not, uh, when I was student of PhD, that time more focus was on, on solid dosage form where continuity in the process was more important that how can we make bigger and larger batches. Now, because the drugs are getting very, very uh, potent, now we are back to a smaller batches. So that's another reason why, if, if, if anybody wants to know uh, why uh, generally the big companies or pharma established pharma companies are looking for CDMOs because their new compounds are, are uh, very potent and they have to make only 100,000 tablets instead of making 1 million tablets. And they, their uh, commercial manufacturing is not uh, designed for that. So all these things are basically changing uh, technology and methodologies of orally um, uh, ingesting product. That's interesting because you, you did mention, um, you know, poor, poor solubility, especially we've got uh, more of these, um, you know, NCEs, these molecules are, are getting more complex, you know, more highly potent. So what does that say to the, the, the bioavailability? You know, how is the industry tackling uh, the issue of um, enhancing bioavailability specifically through the way they're formulating, you know, the way they are doing an OSD formulation. Um, is formulation the key to bioavailability or, or is it trying to uh, make the API somehow, you know, more conducive to being bioavailable in the body? Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, sure, sure. So the, it's, a, it's a several, the, the answer will be uh, in, in, uh, in several uh, phases. Um, because the, your question is a little complicated, it has several sub steps in it. So very first thing is the orally product, orally ingested product or oral dosage form. There are several purposes in built. One thing is that uh, uh, you probably have seen that sometimes the uh, tablets have what we call uh, a break line or uh, uh, you divide the tablet into half. See, at that time when you are dividing that, um, that uh, tablet into two dosage form, they both have to be identical. Uh, 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 people don't realize that, but uh, break line these days, uh, FDA asks us to break the tablets and, and both the halves, half one and half of the tablet of another one, have to be compared to each other to see that both halves are equivalent. And there are guidelines, CFR clearly controls that. And uh, a solid dosage form these days are not just a tablet ingesting, it gives you a dosage form which you can divide into several sub dosage form for a pediatric usage or dose titration. Second thing is that in the uh, dosage form itself, beside excipients, we are putting uh, drug, which we call drug loading. Earlier, there was not uh, that much emphasis uh, on, on because the dose was very high. But now because the dose is very low, we are micronizing the drug. Emphasis is a lot on particle size distribution. And FDA also forces at least three tier particle size specification. Earlier, there was a, a the focus was on, uh, on just uh, micronize the material, that's it. 
uh, and later on it became one tier, now it is three tier and you have to have a lower and higher limit. So that also kind of helps us to enhance the bioavailability micronization. But there are a number of other systems too that uh, the, the constantly inventions are happening in the pharmacy schools, different companies are. At, at one point of time, there were a number of drug delivery companies. They were doing nothing but enhancing, bringing fat, bringing uh, solid dispersion, bringing more external technology to enhance the solubility of the drug. So enhancement of solubility is a separate topic itself, which constantly is going. Uh, and a number of technologies are being identified there, applied there, so that you can, but in the end, if you're presenting it in a capsule or in a tablet, uh, tablets are more preferred than capsule, but capsule gives us an advantage that uh, you can put powder there and that uh, you don't have to compress uh, at that uh, force like we do uh, tablet uh, compression. So there are, uh, uh, focus has been tremendous in on the enhancing solubility side. And now our technologies, methodologies, equipment are also supporting it and the product development. There are a number of controls FDA wants, we want to, to establish that the product going in the, in the tablet, the drug substance going in the tablet is micronized. So, uh, and like I said, number of other technologies are getting looked into to enhancing the bioavailability, bringing solid dispersion, bringing the fat because drug gets dissolved and then gets sprayed on the excipient before it gets converted into a tablet or, or, or the capsule blend. Now, I want to go back to what you said earlier when you're talking about the, the dosage these days being, being lower because the APIs themselves are more highly potent. And is that really strictly for NCEs? Because my question then is, what happens with all the older drugs, all, all the old, older tablets that, I don't know if you recall the term horse pills, you know, right. there were some medicines, older medicines, they were tablets or, you know, some solid pill that were really huge. So what happens now to those types of older drugs? Have they been reformulated? Have they somehow made the API more, more potent these days? Because we're, ta you know, in my head, I'm looking at two different things. I'm looking at NCEs, new, newer products coming out that are by their nature already more highly potent, but then you've got the older uh, drugs still being used today, how have they been either updated or upgraded so that they still can be effective, but are maybe a lower dosage or a smaller pill for easier consumption? Excellent question. Excellent question. Now we see the, the, the in pharmaceutical world, uh, we are highly governed by FDA. Everything we do gets scrutinized. Everything we do some of the things we do, we have to submit to FDA for their prior approval before we can even implement. So older dosage films that are still being manufactured, those horse pill like antibiotic 1000 milligram, 1500 milligram, 1.5 gram tablets are still around and, and they are going to be around. Uh, but you must have heard about generation one, first generation, second generation. It, it, yep. it's, I know it's very popular among uh, cell phones and 5G technology. It is it is popular among uh, drug uh, drug uh, chemistry too. First generation molecules, second generation molecule, third generation, like NSAID, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. You will see that there are a number of drugs which are very potent, 
number of drugs like ibuprofen, 600, 800, 1200 milligram you can consume. And there are nabumetones, uh, 1000 milligram and, and other. Uh, and, but there are other NSAIDs like paroxicam and, and, and uh, other uh, uh, more recent ones. Um, and you, the, where the doses uh, subsequently reduce, they're more potent. But as you know, that a common sense, the more potent is the drug, more control you have to have on that. More uh, the probability is that you can have a toxic effect more quickly. One and a half tablet of ibuprofen will not do anything bad, but if the dose is two milligram and you're taking one and a half tablet, two and uh, three milligram, that's where the problem starts happening. So potenter the drug, more controls it requires from both, from the processing manufacturing side and from the consumer side too, yeah, because uh, what we call as a therapeutic index, most of the uh, potent molecules, what we call it a narrow therapeutic index, have narrow therapeutic index. So it cannot be that you can take 200 milligram and, and 1000 milligram. No, you can take 200 milligram and only 275. That's it. That's the maximum dose. So lower dose, which is more acceptable, generally that gets converted like you probably have seen many OTC product, ibuprofen, you get only 200 milligram there. But prescription strength is 600, 800, 1200 milligram. Uh, so that's where the whole discussion is that a higher uh, potency uh, product are um, required to manufacture slightly different uh, uh, manufacturing techniques. So older product, bigger companies, uh, that's another reason why there is a boom in CDMO market that um, uh, we are also included in that market. And uh, people are reaching out to that, can you manufacture very small batch? Because the tablet is uh, 35 milligram, 40 milligram tablet weight, while um, uh, 20 years ago, uh, nothing was less than 250 or 300 or 500 milligram. So there is a approach there, but older products are not going to go anywhere. I know, um, they are being manufactured by more uh, by the old technology. Uh, and uh, as, as we are moving forward on the drug substance side, there are very few manufacturers left. You will be surprised that there is one or two manufacturers in the entire world who manufacture aspirin. There are one or two manufacturers available for, for ibuprofen in the entire world. So it, it, there are very few people who are manufacturing these drugs because these are commodity items now they're so cheap uh, uh, you need. So our manufacturing process need to be cheap. So that's why generic companies are doing well uh, in that uh, area. They are, uh, they are uh, still using old technologies, uh, uh, relatively less controls, uh, relatively simpler processes, uh, which are, of course, which are all approved by the FDA. Do you have any sort of a take-home message for drug developers or um, you know, some some best practice approach to sure. to formulating their their new oral do, solid dosage product. Yes, yes, I do. I mean, it's another very good question you ask. That uh, we all are same on paper. CDMO one versus CDMO two or CDMO three or CDMO four, or a manufacturer, whether it's a, a, a Pfizer, UCB, or or some other uh, company, uh, Johnson and Johnson. Um, manufacturing and developing oral sort, uh, dosage form 
requires a lot of understanding of the processes. First area is the material properties. Material itself, if you know how to handle the material, what are those critical uh, qualities uh, or cr critical quality attributes, which we call CQAs, you know if in the material, especially in the drug substance, you, and you can uh, control it, that makes your process down the stream very simple. So upfront work is required, and that's where the CDMO people uh, come in, like for LGM. Uh, we are combined with two different uh, uh, business models or two uh, different group of people. One works for DMD, which is drug manufacturing division. Another one uh, works uh, on the supply chain division side. They are the one who go and outsource API from the world. And, and uh, we are the one who develop, converts that into formulation and give them the processes. So. Uh, something like uh, if you're working companies like uh, uh, LGM, then you are getting both the expertise under one umbrella. That's a unique thing to get. Second thing is, and I, I want people to, uh, to, to pay attention to this, because often people think, oh, we know we can uh, source API ourselves. Oh, we know we can develop our uh, drug manufacturing ourselves. Developing, developing successfully, there is difference. And then third thing is commercializing uh, that product consistently is even more difficult thing. Uh, so here is a, a, a scenario without giving the name of the product. If you're taking a simple product where the margin is less, like you mentioned the old product, as you know, older the product, the margin is lesser and lesser. And once the, the uh, we are all business people, we are looking for margin. So people who are uh, trying to look for uh, the company who can work for them or with them, uh, I would prefer those people who understand uh, the process because we can give you material with the properly identified critical quality attributes. We can also give you a process which is much simpler. You can implement very quickly in your plant and also it gives you that profit margin because manufacturing time, reducing manufacturing time is basically enhancing your profit. So if we can reduce manufacturing cycle, let's say if you're manufacturing the same batch in eight hours, and my process allows you to manufacture uh, the same batch in four hours, you can manufacture two uh, batches in the same time. That gives you the, the, uh, the cost reduction. Last but not least is pay attention on the detail side. I know there are a number of CDMOs around. They all claim, they're all our friends. We know them very well, but please understand what we are offering on the plate. Technology old doesn't mean we have to use all the old procedures or old controls. Technology is old, we understand that it's the same blender we have been using for decades, but now our understanding of the process is different. Based on the material behavior, uh, we change our processes. For example, if, if, if uh, uh, let's say a compound A or a drug molecule A versus drug molecule B, drug molecule A has poor compressibility while drug molecule B has a good compressibility. It has to be identified upfront that what kind of composition or what kind of formulation you're going to develop poor compressibility versus a good compressibility. And in the end, if you cannot differentiate that, you will have a process, I'm sure you will, 
but that process will not give you that control in the end on the quality of the product, which we all are expecting. So that is another area where little bit due diligence is required for companies or people who are looking for CDMOs. Do the due diligence and see what we have been delivering in the market and what, uh, what is our uh, uh, workforce, how experienced we are. Last but not least uh, is the orally disintegrating tablets. I wanted to talk in the first, uh, uh, answering your question in the first. And that's another area where a lot of, uh, because orally disintegrating approach was built around those molecules which are potent, those molecules where dose is less. Because these uh, new chemical entities are coming now where the dose is less, they're potent. ODT, orally disintegrating tablet, which uh, has a subsequent advantage over pure oral product because you don't need to have water with it. You can ingest this without any uh, usage of water. Any uh, old patient or young patients who are not able to, uh, some dysphagia patients, some patients who are not able to ingest these because the tablets are large, they're self-disintegrating. So it gives you a wide application. And that's another forte that uh, me and uh, my team is working for LGM and we have a number of products in the pipeline working on the orally disintegrating tablets. Well, that's great. Uh, and I want thank to you. thank you, Deepak, for taking the time to speak on the PharmTech Drug Solutions podcast today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And with me now, I've got Marco Gill from Hovion. So Marco, thank you very much for joining our podcast. We are welcome, Felisa. Nice to be here. Thank you for the invitation. First question I wanted to ask you is what have been some of the latest developments in oral solid dosage technology or methodologies that you've been seeing? The oral solid dosage technology and methodology have been evolving quite strongly in the last few years. There are a few that try to address the, the current challenges in the industry related mostly with poorly soluble and poorly permeable drugs. Uh, we've seen a number of technologies emerging based on what are the so-called additive technologies, like 3D printing, for instance. We've seen also uh, interesting developments in patient compliance in trying to address the bioavailability and extended release at the same time. And that is based on what can be called gastroretentive systems, like the ones Linda Therapeutics is developing. Uh, we've seen also a number of new functional excipients coming to, to the market and companies trying to, to functionalize those excipients aiming to improve certain drug delivery characteristics. And I think that we've seen also that uh, the application of modeling techniques using mathematical modeling, first principle tech methods are also on the rise to being used. Uh, so in a way, making use of more data-driven approaches to formulation development, uh, like ASDI pros and other platforms that came to, to the market, aiming to be faster, to optimize formulations. And it is, this is more on the formulation side. On the technology side, probably the most relevant actually has been the, the continuous manufacturing and the continuous tableting technology applied to tableting uh, being direct compression, wet granulation or dry granulation. Uh, this has been has had strong development over the last few years. And I believe that it will reshape the way the industry approaches uh, oral solid dosage forms and the way we manufacture and develop those, those forms. 
I'm glad you brought up continuous manufacturing because um, I'm actually more on the biologic side um, of the farm industry, the pharma industry. And what I want to ask for our oral solid dosage forms is how much adoption are we seeing of continuous manufacturing? Is it pretty prevalent with tableting and, and sort of more of the, the pill type of manufacturing? Or is it still uh, a technology that is um, maybe slowly making its way uh, into yeah. the farm industry? What do you think? I think that you know, certainly is not the mainstream technology being used currently in for oral dosage forms, but it is clearly on the rise. The, there have been a number of large pharmaceutical organizations that have made public that uh, they have a strategy to move towards continuous uh, tableting approach instead of continuing doing the traditional batch tableting. But certainly it's still on the rise. I think it is still in the adoption curve of the technology. It's not, not widely available, not widely accepted yet. Uh, but I believe that it will be very different in a few years uh, from now. Now, I wanted to move on to the actual APIs themselves. What have been the biggest challenges when formulating uh, an API for the OSD oral solid dosage um, uh, forms? What, what have still been some of the biggest challenges today? Yeah. Um, if, if we look to the pipelines of, of the new chemical entities that are currently being developed, what we see is that the poorly soluble compounds or BCS class II uh, compounds are still a great proportion of those pipelines. So 80 to 90%, depending on the literature uh, of, those, of, of those molecules do need a way of improving bioavailability. The other aspect to it is that um, the deficient permeability of those molecules have been also uh, on the rise. And therefore, the challenges that we face today for APIs is actually to bring them to a state where they are bioavailable and they can be actually effectively administered to patients. That remains one of the biggest challenges in the industry. And certainly there have been also, and you've mentioned the biologic side, there have been an interest to develop new technologies to be able to deliver large molecules orally instead of other, other means. There have been some good progress there in terms of developing formulation technologies that stabilize and then make also improve permeability of those large molecules. And I do expect that, that the development of those formulation platforms may lead to an increased number of biologics or large molecules being administered orally. Ah, see, now you're speaking more of my language now that you're getting <laughs> into biologics. I love it. Um, so th that's definitely something I've been hearing about, this uh, being able to deliver a biologic orally. How far away are, are we from that? Is that is that a technology or I guess is that a, a reality that we're going to be seeing anytime soon? Or do you think maybe another 10 years, 20 years yet down the line? <laughs> Predicting the future is always difficult and, uh, and dangerous, but um, we, we currently there are a few products in the market that are orally um, formulations, oral formulations to deliver large molecules. We've seen a number of companies developing those formulation platforms. So I, I think that is, I'm not sure, I don't think it will be a mainstream approach but I do believe that uh, gradually there will be more and more 
biologicals or large molecules, large proteins being administered orally uh, for patient compliance reasons, for all, all reasons. And I think that today we have probably a set of tools and techniques that will enable that in 10 years time, um, we will have a, a much larger proportion of those larger molecules being administered orally and therefore reaching probably a wider population and other parts of the world that um, would benefit from these more advanced formulations. Uh, now, I, I want to move on uh, to tackle again the uh, the concept of bioavailability, especially for some of these um, NCEs that are coming through the pipeline. I've heard that they're more highly potent or you, know, you mm -hmm. may, may need a lower dose of them. However, bioavailability is an issue. So how is the, the industry, or I guess in particular, perhaps the CDMO uh, industry tackling um, you know, bioavailability for some of these newer NCEs? Sure. No, they're very good question. I mean, the, the, I, the increase in potency is something that we say on a daily basis. Uh, drugs are being more selective to the targets that are being designed to. That is achieved using high throughput screening computer modeling techniques that produces molecules that are very unnatural. So, and therefore they will be, they will have uh, a number of challenges related with being water soluble and being permeable. So we continue to see that. I, every indication we have is that it will continue in this path for the next few years, it won't change. And the CDMOs, need to be equipped to deal with these new challenges. One of the most common approaches and that became a standard is the, the, the use of amorphous solid dispersions, which convert the crystalline form into an amorphous form stabilized typically by um, synthetic polymers. Um, and there are a number of ways then to produce these obviously industrially that the CDMOs um, can use. Spray drying is the most prevalent technology to produce amorphosol dispersions in the, the pharmaceutical space. And it is very well established today. Uh, the science behind it is very well known. Uh, and there is significant capacity and capability in the CDMO space to support the development and launch of those, of those new NCEs using this technology. What we've seen also is that there have been a number of um, excipients coming to, into play. We have a number of synthetic polymers that are very useful in, in developing these formulations and being used in the spray drying and dot melt extrusion as well. Um, and recently, for instance, we have a, a protein-based product developed by, by, by Zerian called Dispersome that uses a, a protein instead of synthetic polymer. And in some cases, it actually induces a more, a more stable and a higher solubility enhancement um, performance compared to the synthetic polymers. Obviously, this depends, it's a very case-by-case -case basis, but there are a number of technologies that are being used for to produce amorphous all dispersions to address poor, poorly bioavailable drugs, namely BCS class two, poorly soluble drugs. Thank you, Marco. Uh, now, I'm glad that you once again mentioned the excipients because uh, I did want to ask, um, did you say something earlier about functional excipients? 
Did I yeah. hear that right? Right. Um, Maybe can you elaborate a little bit more about what those are and, and what do they do? Yeah, sure. So these functional excipients are, we call it functional excipients because they have a function, uh, very specific function in these more advanced formulations. When, when we have a poorly soluble drug and we produce an amorphous or dispersion, we need to achieve a state that is we call supersaturated state, meaning that is a solubility state where it's above the equilibrium. And for that, we need excipients that have a function that, at, at least for a certain period of time, they can stabilize certain forms of the drug in this metastable state, supersaturated state. So that's why we call it functional. And also, in many cases, we need to use excipients that do not dissolve in the stomach, but they go into to the JT track and, and then dissolve later on to, to, to enable the drug to be dissolved and um, um, absorbed by the body in the right place. So that's, that's where I call functional excipients because they have functionalities uh, that go above and beyond what we would, we would think for a regular excipient. Now, I, I'm certainly no expert in uh, excipients, but I'm curious if with these, these newer, more advanced type, you know, these functional excipients, um, would, then the, would they then need to be validated by regulatory authorities or some, because I guess they would be considered yeah, an ingredient, absolutely. right? Yeah. So how, how does that work then? You, uh, you know, company uh, decides they're gonna use this excipient that, that works absolutely. great with their specific NCE, but then what's the process for them to make sure that excipient is acceptable to regulatory authorities? Very good question, Felisa. There are, I would divide this into groups. One are those excipients that are based in already known and approved um, excipients. Um, so imagine polymetacrylate polymers, right? If you do a different um, polymer molecular weight, it's the same material, the same chemistry, it's, it's very easy to, relatively easy to get it approved and therefore being used in new products. On the other side, there are these new excipients that are not, do not derive from any known um, chemistry or any known molecules. Those require obviously an approval um, and, and that would require that either they are submitted with a new chemical entity and both are approved at the same time, right? Or that um, the company that is developed the excipient files these excipients and tries to obtain an approval from the health authorities to use it as a GRAS excipient generally recognized as safe, or that submit at least toxic toxicological data to, to prove that it's safe to use that particular excipient. But there is there is, as you highlighted, there is some further work to be done to get to, to a regulatory status where it can be used freely by many, many, many new chemical entities. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Marco. Okay, so uh, we are uh, sort of rounding out our segment here. And uh, I guess the final question I have for you is, do you have a particular uh, take-home message for um, for these drug developers, for these NCE developers on, uh, you know, sort of any sort of best practice approach when they are coming up with a formulation for, for their also solid dosage product, um, sort of any tips, you know, tips mm -hmm. and advice? <laughs> it's a good question, but difficult to answer. <laughs> um, I, I mean, one, one 
one aspect is no matter what the final formulation is or the platform that is being used, obviously a science-based approach based on solid scientific data and a proven approach is, is, is a good way to start. Uh, and that I would advise as a best practice also to look for what is the industrial reality of that specific platform or technology that is being selected. At the end of the day, we need to launch drugs and they need to be manufactured. So a proven and acceptable and available uh, industrial technology is always important. In any case, the best practice approach that I would, uh, would give is to look holistically to the particle engineering aspect of, of the formulation and the final dosage form. For instance, when I call particle engineering, I would say the amorphosol dispersion itself and the tableting component. They need to be looked together. And I would say using mathematical models coupled with some rational based experimentation will be the best way to optimize your formulation holistically and not optimize individually each part of the process that you have to that compose the final tablet. So this holistic view, coupling the modeling uh, techniques with experimentation is a best practice that I would advise everyone to use. Thanks very much for your time, Mark. I really appreciate you giving us some insight and, and feedback on oral solid dosage forms. And we appreciate having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Felisa. Great to be here. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. I want to thank Deepak and Marco for joining us and sharing their insights and depth of knowledge in the world of oral solid dosage forms. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, CoreRx. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you to our editors and experts for sharing their insight. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our newsletters. When you sign up for our e-newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars, and hear about episodes of Drug Digest, which is a video series. Thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. We will see you next time.